Uh, I'm going to read to you our next passage. We're working our way through Ephesians, this letter to the Ephesians in the mornings. And uh, we've been, uh, we're up to chapter four, six chapters, um, and we're reading from verse 17 this morning. And I want to talk to you about living as a Christian, walk, walk like a Christian. Um, let's, let's read together uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 onwards. Uh, so I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. May God speak to us this morning through this part of his word. Um, live like a Christian, walk like a Christian. Um, and he's saying here, he's writing to Gentiles, Paul, and he's saying, you Gentiles do not live like Gentiles. You British people do not live like the British. You Westerners do not live like Westerners. Wherever you're from, don't live like the culture around you. Uh, Paul is saying, live differently. And I want to talk us through this morning, I want to talk us through three movements that we've been following uh, through this letter. First of all, I want to talk about who we are. You know the chant of the football crowd, who are you? Well, Paul has been spending a lot of his time as he's writing to these people, he's been spending a lot of time, we've been looking at it these last several weeks, in saying who we are. So I want to look at our identity and who, who are you? And then the next movement that's in this letter is the way that we think. What do you believe? What, what, what do you think? So who are you? How do you identify yourself? What's your identity? Then how do you think? 
And then thirdly, how do you act, the way you act? There are three movements. And in this passage that we're looking at this morning, Paul is getting very specific. He's getting to the application part of the scripture. He's getting to the appeal. He's getting to that this is how it works out in your everyday life. And we're going to look at six specific instructions that he gives to these believers in how they are to act. That's the third movement, how we behave. But if we go straight to how we behave without looking at who we are and what we think, then we're going to short circuit. We're not going to produce the fruit in our lives that the Bible wants us to produce. The way we act has got to follow knowing who we are and knowing what we believe and believe in the right things. And the verb that's used throughout this second part of Ephesians is peripateo, which means to walk. Be careful how you walk. Walk the walk, don't just talk the talk. Walk worthy. Live worthy of your calling. Paul is... <coughs> Sorry, I've got a frog in my throat. Paul is at the appeal stage of his message. <coughs> He's getting very practical about how they are to live their lives. But this is an empty moralism. If we get into, this is what you're supposed to do. Do this, do that, do this, do this. Don't do this, don't do that. We, we quickly move as Christians, or in any area of life, we, we move into empty moralism. And we can't, we can't keep it up anyway. So uh, that's not what Paul is doing. He's not saying try harder, or be a good person, or be kind, or be moralistic. It goes much deeper than that. That never works. And Paul's done a lot more groundwork than that in, in helping them get to the point where they can live out some of these commands that he's given them. So first of all, you have to know your identity. You have to know who you are. And he spent a lot of time telling them who they are and what their calling is. The way that God has transformed them, the things he's done in their life. If you remember, as we've been going through these last few weeks, the first few chapters, we've listed these spiritual blessings in Christ with which we have been blessed. We've been called. We've been adopted. We are children of God. We are no longer aliens. We're no longer separated from Christ. This is what you were formerly, Gentiles. But now, in God, this is who you are. You were dead in your sins, but now you've been made alive with Christ. You're seated with Christ in heavenly places. You've been raised up. You've been resurrected. You've been recreated. You've been given new life. You've been adopted into the family of God. You were aliens, you were separate, but now you're citizens with, with the Israelites. You are fellow members of the family. You are part of this temple of God. Paul uses that building analogy and says you're being built together like stones to create a temple where God lives. And so Paul has gone over and over and over. This is who you are now. That's who you used to be. You used to live like that. You used to be that person who was separate from God, who was dead in their sins, who didn't know Jesus. That's who you used to be, Gentiles. But now, formerly you were this, but now, but God. And uh, we, we've listed those benefits over and over. Now you've been sealed with the Spirit of God. Now you've got this inheritance coming to you. This is who you are, and Paul's been drilling it home throughout the letter. But also then, the second thing, and like how we think, he spent quite a bit of time in the earlier chapters praying that they would get it. And his prayers, we looked at two of Paul's prayers, and he said, I'm praying for you that you will 
get it, that you will understand, that you will grasp, that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened to understand what God has done in your life, how you have changed. Understanding and grasping and knowing the truth is a vital second step in Paul's theology before he gets to the point where he says, and now this is how you're to act. <laughs> if, we, if we get straight to the this is how you're to act bit, We'll just come to this empty moralistic viewpoint of life which we cannot sustain. But if we understand what God has done in our lives, if I understand who I am, if I understand and think correctly about the way that Christ has saved me and, and rescued me and redeemed me and given me his Holy Spirit, I'm going to live in a very different way, which is why Paul pivots at the start of chapter 4 and says, now live worthy of the calling that you've received. We talked about that in a couple of weeks ago. Live worthy, live axios, live in balance with the calling that you've received. All of this stuff that Paul has put on the scales. He's saying, now start to live in balance with that. Live worthy and, and live fitting. He gets to that in chapter 5. So who are you? That's the first question that we're asking this morning. As we said, he's really looked at their identity in Christ. Identity politics is massive now in our age and in our generation. Who we are, who we think we are, massively affects the way that we live our lives. And we live in a psychological society, uh, Carl Truman's written about this, where our inner psychological reality determines everything. And so it's very important that we have a correct sense of identity. And the world will put identity on us or will assign identity to us. But the Bible is very clear and goes to great lengths about who we are. This gets to the very core of how we live our lives. And Paul has given these formally and now comparisons. He's, enfolded, he's unfolded in one long stream of Greek prose. He's unfolded who they are, what God has done, how he's called and chosen and saved and forgiven and redeemed them, how he's lavished his grace on them and filled them with his Holy Spirit. And he says, you Gentiles, you are so rich and you have a great inheritance and you are children of God. Remember what you used to be and remember what you are now. Remember that you had no access to God, but now you have full access. Remember that you used to follow the ways of the the world and the flesh, your natural desires, and you were under the influence of Satan, but now you're under the influence of God and under his rulership and lordship. Things have changed. They're under new management. Have you ever seen the change of, a, of a, an institution or a place when it says under new management? It's going to be different now. And uh, my mum was telling me recently that she, was, she stayed in a hotel and um, it, she said it was like faulty towers. It was so bad. <laughs> it was like, I think she asked at one point, she said, do you have any Prosecco? And they said, uh, well, we do, but it's warm. <laughs> it's like, and, and everything they asked for was too much trouble. And, and sometimes, yeah, we need to, we need, something needs new management. It needs new leadership. And, and what Paul has stressed again and again throughout this letter is that that these people, they are under new management. It's no longer the way it was. Things have changed. Uh, things have been transformed in their lives. Chapter 2, he says, Remember what you formerly were. Remember what you are now. You are fellow citizens. You are members of God's household. You are the temple of God. And this is the starting point for Paul. 
And anything that Paul is going to say about behavior, about a certain way of life, has to start here. You can't have the fruit of the Spirit in your life if you don't have the roots. You can't go straight, I can't go to a tree, I can't grow an apple by just willing an apple to grow. I can't stare at a raspberry bush and just will those raspberries to grow. You pay attention to the roots and the fruit comes of its own volition, of its own accord. It flows naturally, but we take care of the roots and that's what Paul has been doing. He's been digging the roots. He's been watering the roots. He's been telling them who they are and whose they are. And this is the starting point when we give our life to Christ, when we become a Christian. When we become a Christian, we become changed and transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit. We come under new management. We give our life to Christ. We put God in control. We let him change our hearts and our minds. We can't do it on our own. He does it for us. That's the first thing. Who are you? And that's what we've been looking at these last several weeks. And it is important to remind ourselves who we are and whose we are. And you can do worse than as you read through Ephesians. Just remind yourself of every spiritual blessing that you have in Christ. We used to have a visiting speaker. When we used to live in Germany, we had a, a Portuguese speaker that used to come to our church. He was called George Tadeo. And he used to make us sing this song. And uh, it, 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 we used to have to sing it in his services. And it was, I am who the Bible says I am. I can do what the Bible says I can do. There was a third line which I can't remember. But we used to sing it over and over. I am who the Bible says I am. I can do what the Bible says I can do. And knowing that truth is absolutely vital to our Christian walk. You can't walk the walk if you don't know this and if you don't understand it. And Paul says here in verses 21 to 24, he's made quite clear. He says, surely you heard of him and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul says, this is what you were taught. You take off your old self. You put on your new self. When you were baptized in Christ, the old self was buried and the new self was born, was resurrected. You're a new person. You're a new creation. You're under new management. And this is your identity in Christ. Who are you? The second thing that Paul looks at in this passage is the way that we think and the way that we understand what we believe. In verse, verses 17 to 24, we come across phrases like the futility of their thinking. Verse 17, I tell you this and I insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They think wrong. Their thinking is empty. Their thinking is wrong and it's vacuous and it's futile. And I don't want you to live like that anymore, Paul says. They are darkened, he says, in their understanding. They, they have no understanding of the things of God. They, they are not enlightened, as uh, he's been praying for these Gentiles. They are darkened in their understanding. They have futile thinking. And he says they are separated from the life of God because of their ignorance. They don't know. They don't understand. They are ignorant of the things of God. 
So you've got their, their thinking, their understanding, and their ignorance. And he says, but it's not like that with you. You heard of Christ. You were taught in him. You were taught to be made new in the attitude of your minds, the way that you think. So you learned, you heard, and you were being taught truth. And Paul says this is so important, the way you think, what you believe. Don't be like those Gentiles who have darkened understanding, futile thinking. They don't know Christ. They are ignorant in their minds. But you, you're not like that. You were taught something different. You were taught Christ. You were taught, you, you were taught to believe. You heard Christ preached. And, and this truth has come into your life. And this is what happens to us as believers of Jesus Christ. We are called to be disciples. And the word for disciple in the Greek is mathetes. And that means a learner. We are called to be learners. We are called to think right. The Gentiles were thinking the wrong things. And so they were believing the wrong things. They would lost, Paul says, they've lost all sensitivity. Their hearts, he said, have become hardened. And the Greek word is porosis, which means harder than a block of marble. They've gotten, they've gotten these hardened hearts, these ignorant minds, and so they've given their lives over to a wrong kind of living, to a sensuality, to always lusting for more. And he said, you're not like that. You were, you were taught Christ. You were taught to, to understand Christ and to live like Jesus. And what Paul has spent so much of his time in his letter is praying for these believers to get it. He doesn't pray that they will have these things. He doesn't pray that they will be redeemed. He doesn't pray that they will be forgiven. He doesn't pray that they'll be rescued from darkness. He doesn't pray that they'll have new life. He doesn't pray any of those things because they already have those things. They already are those people. What Paul prays for again and again and again as, as we read his prayers is, he says, I pray that you will understand. I pray that you will grasp. I pray that your heart, that eyes of your heart will be enlightened so that you can understand how much God loves you. It's not that I'm praying for God to love you. I'm praying that you'll understand how much God loves you. The height of it and the depth and the breadth of it. I'm not praying that you'll be saved. I'm praying that you'll understand that you are saved. I'm not praying that you'll be forgiven. I'm praying that you'll grasp and understand and see and feel with your heart and your experience that you are forgiven, that Jesus has made you a new person, that you are under new management, that you do have the Spirit of God inside of you. And Paul, as he's on his knees in these chains, He's not praying for these things to happen to these believers. He's praying that they'll get it, that they'll understand it. Just why it's so important what we think. What we think and what we believe is so important. Now, I have seen in this last year and a half, as many of you have in lockdown, that we sometimes, we believe the wrong things. And what we are told is so important and what we understand is so important. I've had conversations sometimes with people where they've said, uh, I believe A, B, C, and D to be true. And I say, well, actually, that's not true. And actually, that didn't happen. And actually, that's not the case. 
And what we believe then really, really affects the way we act. We're going to get to the acting bit of this passage. But the way we think and the way we believe is so important that we believe and know truth because truth is what sets us free. And so we, we have to understand that there are two parties at work. There is, there is Satan who is called, what, what is the name of Satan? He's called the father of lies, Beelzebub, the father of lies. And Satan deals in lies. He, that's his metier. That's his language. His language is one of untruth, one of lies. And we serve Jesus. And what is Jesus' metier? Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And Jesus is the God of truth. There is no lying in God. God despises lying and tells us not to lie. And Paul gets to the point here where he says, don't lie. Don't, don't tell lies. Don't be untruthful. And so there's these two, there's these two poles. But what, what we believe, what we think, totally, utterly affects the way we act. It is the software of our lives. If the software is corrupt, the hardware won't work. And so it is it's so important that we know truth. And the truth is what will set us free, the Bible says. In the Second World War, this fact was so important that the Allies went to great, great effort to tell lies to the enemy. And so Operation Mincemeat was born. Uh, for those of you who have heard of it, um, we're preparing for the Normandy landings. So much was at stake to create this beachhead, to create this, uh, the, this, uh, these landings of the Allied forces into occupied France. But it was so important that the Germans weren't ready for them. And so a great campaign of misinformation was put in place. Jenny's granddad worked on it. He was an American. He was based in London. He worked in the central offices preparing for the Normandy landings. And they were terrified of letting out the truth of what was going to happen. They were terrified of going to the pub and having too much to drink and letting out the truth of these campaigns that were being prepared. And it was so important to sow lies to the enemy that they took a dead corpse and they planted false papers on it with false plans of the false locations of the landings of the Allied forces. And they dumped this body in the water so that it would get washed up ashore and get found by uh, the Germans or the Italians. And, and this plan worked. <laughs> they found the false papers with the false plans on the, on the planted body to tell lies to the enemy. And the enemy directed their forces to the wrong places because they believed a lie. And this is how Satan works in our lives at times, that we believe the wrong things, and so we do the wrong things, and we act in the wrong way. Romans 12, 1 to 2 says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. And we did this whole campaign, if you remember. How are we transformed? We're transformed by the renewing of our minds, by what we think, by what we read, by what we listen to. And this is so important because it affects our daily reality. Spiritual disciplines are so important on this. 
memorization and meditation on scripture. Every morning, Jenny and I, during these last several months, we've been doing a daily devotional on YouTube. It, it goes live at 6 a.m., and we're working our way through the Psalms. And we're meditating on the Psalms and the truth of the Psalms. And this last week, we've been on Psalm 37, meditating on it every day. And that's what produces fruit in our lives when we get the truth of Scripture into our minds and into our understanding so that it gets lived out. And what we think is so important and what we believe is so important. And what Paul says to these Gentiles is saying, this is what you learned. This is what you were taught. This is what you heard. This is what you learned and were taught and were heard. You learned Christ. You were taught Christ. You heard Christ. So you don't live like these Gentiles in the futility of their thinking. And you don't live like these Gentiles anymore in the hardness of their hearts. And you don't live in the darkness of their understanding because you were taught something else and you heard something else and you listened to something else. And this is absolutely vital to get the truth of Christ in us. We are all being discipled. We are all learners. We are all mathetes. But what are we going to listen to? Are we being discipled by Netflix? Are we being discipled by Facebook? Are we being discipled by New age, are we being discipled by truth, by scripture, by Christ? And that's what Paul focuses on here. This is the second movement. He's saying, first of all, you've got to know who you are. And I've taught you again and again and again, Paul says, I've, I've reminded you who you are, of your identity in Christ. Nobody can take that away from you. And uh, you're so rich. You're not poor, you're rich in Christ. Uh, you have the Holy Spirit in you. You're redeemed. And then Paul goes on to the second movement, which is the way they're thinking. I can't impress again upon you enough the importance of Scripture in, in, in determining how we think, how we live our lives. Now, some of us are not big readers, but in this day and in this generation, with the technology that we've got, there's no excuse for not getting the Bible inside you. You can listen to it. You know, get it on audio. Get the version app and listen to it through your headphones. Uh, you can read it. There's so many accessible versions to it. I remember um, being told of, of one man in, in um, one part of the world, I think, it, I think it was Keith Warrington that told this story, that they had so little access to the scriptures that they had just one little scrap of paper with with a bit of the Bible on it, which they memorized and memorized the memorized. It's all they had. It's all they could get their hands on. I remember, I remember Nicky Gumbel uh, saying the time that he smuggled Bibles into Russia. And he went up to a Russian believer who had this worn old copy of a New Testament hidden away in his coat. And, and uh, Nicky Gumbel went up to him in the street and carefully looking you know, for KGB stooges he gave him a copy of the whole Bible in Russian. And he said, this man danced up and down the street with delight at having a Bible that he could have and that he could read. And many of us in the West, we've got 10 Bibles on our shelves. We just have to read it. <laughs> we don't sometimes have that same sense of joy and anticipation at what God says to us and how he transforms our thinking through the teaching of his word. And that's what Paul is focusing on here. He says, this is not how you were taught. 
This is not what you heard. This, this is not what you learned. You learned Christ. You were taught Christ. And it transformed your life. Which then brings us, I guess, to the third act, which is how we act or how we behave. Now, some of us, we jump straight to this bit. And people believe this is how you live the Christian life. Don't do this. Don't do that. You must do this. You mustn't do that. If you try and do this third act without the second act and without the first act, you can't do it. But if you know who you are and whose you are, and if you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and if you tend to those roots, then the fruit will come. You can't help but grow in, in Christ-likeness and in the way that you act. And so Paul is saying in this passage, he's saying this is then how I want you to act. And he says in verse uh, 25, he says, therefore each of you, this is what you must do. And he gives six specific examples. He's already said, he's used the language of clothing. He said, take off, put on. Take off, put on. And he's already saying, you've already done this. You've already taken that off. You've already put on your new self. It's like, uh, and when we, when we have different roles, we change our uniform. You know, if if I turned up to church in pajamas and slippers, that would give a very different feeling, <laughs> a very different impression to uh, wearing something slightly smarter. What we dress in affects or depicts our role. Sometimes a police officer in their uniform, that depicts a role. It depicts a certain level of authority. It depicts certain expectations. And Paul is saying dress correctly as a Christian. Walk correctly as a Christian, out of who you are. This is who you are. So verse 1 of chapter 4, live worthy. Verse 2 of chapter 5, live fitting to the way that you are, who you are, and the way that you think and have been taught. So let's look very briefly. I'm not going to go into great detail in these, but I just want to highlight six things that Paul says, this is what you should do, and this is what you should stop doing. So the first one, there's a negative prohibition and a positive command for each of these. The first one is don't tell lies, but rather tell the truth. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Paul is saying, you've got to start living differently now. So don't tell lies but rather tell the truth. In the previous section, remember, he said about speaking the truth in love, or the Greek says truthing in love. Act in truth, speak in truth, don't be deceitful, don't tell lies. And that's what we're called to as Christians because fellowship is built on trust and trust is built on truth. If you don't have truth, you can't have trust. If you don't have trust, you can't have fellowship. And Paul has been preaching unity here. So he's saying you can't have unity if you don't have trust. And you can't have trust if you don't have truth. So that's the first thing that he says. And the second thing he says is don't lose your temper, but ensure that your anger is righteous. Don't lose your temper, but ensure that your anger is righteous. This is what he says. He says, um, verse 26, in your anger... Do not sin. You can be angry and not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. He's saying here, get rid of anger. Um, now, there is such a thing as righteous anger. There's such a thing as 
Christian anger. There's such thing as being angry at stuff and not sinning. There's a place for anger in our lives. It's not necessarily inherently wrong. But if we are wise, James says, you will be slow to anger. You'll be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Uh, but Paul has three pieces of advice when it comes to anger. He's saying, when you do get angry, don't sin. Um, so don't sin in your anger. Secondly, he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Um, it's seldom safe to allow the embers to smolder. So don't nurse anger and take it to bed with you. Sort it out quickly, is what Paul says. And uh, this verse has been used by many a married couple. Don't go to bed angry. Sort it out before you go to bed. Don't nurse anger overnight. Don't let the embers of anger smolder, Paul says. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And thirdly, he says, don't give the devil a foothold. The devil loves to lurk around angry people because he find a foothold there, find somewhere to get in and to act. And Paul says, don't let the devil have a foothold in your life because of the anger that you're nursing in your heart. Don't do that as a Christian. And then thirdly, he's saying, don't tell lies, but rather tell the truth. He's saying, don't lose your temper, but ensure that your anger is righteous. Thirdly, he says, don't steal, but work hard and be generous in your giving. He, he says uh, here in uh, verse 28, he who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with his hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Now, we're not all out stealing necessarily, but do we cheat on our taxes? Do we uh, make pirate copies of videos or films? Uh, do we steal in different ways, in modern ways? Do we steal from our office? He's saying as Christians, don't steal, but work hard and be honest, and have enough to give away to others. Uh, this is the way a Christian lives, and uh, we're to examine ourselves. And John Stott says, none but Christ can turn a burglar into a benefactor. That's the work of Jesus in our lives. Think of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a thief. <laughs> Zacchaeus was um, a tax collector. He was working, colluding with the Romans. He would, they would take the uh, taxes off the Jews. They'd have some for themselves. There'd be bribery, there'd be corruption. And Zacchaeus, when he was touched by Jesus and changed by Jesus in his heart and in the way he thought, <laughs> he went away and he sorted out his stealing and started giving away the money and sorting things out and making restitution. And so Paul says, that's not how you live as Christians. Don't steal, but work hard uh, and have enough to give away to others. And then he says, uh, the fourth command, the practical we're getting practical here. He says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Don't let rubbish come out your mouth, <laughs> but only what's useful to help other people and build them up and encourage them. How are we doing with our, with our language, with the way we speak? with the way we text, with the way we email, with what we put on social media. Paul uh, is saying here to these Christians, don't let unwholesome talk, dishonest talk, unkind talk, vulgar talk, and the word is sapros, which means 
and is used for rotten trees and rotten fruit. Don't have that in your life. Don't let rotten fruit come off this tree. Don't let rubbish come out of your mouth. Proverbs 12, 18 says, there's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Of course, we've talked many times about the power of life and death is in the tongue. And it's not just what we say, it's what we write, it's the way we carry ourselves. And social media has got a lot to answer for in this area. And let me quote Carl Truman on this, uh, who's a professor of theology and philosophy. He says, I am amazed at how many Christians spend their days on Twitter and Facebook, too often platforms for trivia and unpleasantness. I do not believe Jesus wants me to use my remaining years in exchanging insults with other Christians. I think he wants all of his people to witness to the world by using the time and talents he has given them to edify the body of Christ and to help the rising generation think clearly about the challenges we all face. There's a real challenge here to us in Scripture. An exhortation. And remember Paul is saying, I'm exhorting you. I'm insisting on this. As a prisoner of the Lord, Paul's getting a bit, if you like, he's not getting heavy, but he's getting forceful. He's saying, you shouldn't be doing this as Christians. You've got to live differently. And there are real, there are real implications for the way we live our lives. And this is a real straight talking challenge to every one of us uh, in this area. The fifth particular command that Paul gives, he says, don't be unkind, don't be bitter, but rather be kind and loving. So he says in verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. There are several words here that Paul says. He says, get rid of this. Take it off. <laughs> don't have this in your life. Okay? So the first one is bitterness. He's saying, don't have bitterness in your life. The Greek is picria, and it means a sour spirit or sour speech or being a sour puss. Don't be a sour puss. Don't have a sour spirit. Don't have sour speech. Do not allow bitterness in your life. Armitage Robinson says, an embittered and resentful spirit which, re which refuses to be reconciled. Don't allow that in your life as a Christian. This is not how you were taught Christ, Paul says. So bitterness, he says, get rid of that. And he says, get rid of rage and anger. Rage is passionate rage. Rage, you can see rage. You can feel rage. It's red in the face. It's, it's loud. So that he says, get rid of rage and get rid of anger. That's sullen hostility. Don't have that in your life, Paul says. He says, get rid of brawling or clamor. I remember as a child uh, being at a youth event at our house. My mum and dad were the youth leaders at the time. And I remember our neighbor uh, getting into a fight with one of the Christians who was parked at our house because uh, they'd parked in front of his drive. I remember as a kid watching this Christian getting into a brawl with our non-Christian neighbor, and they were literally rolling around the pavement having a fight <laughs> at this Christian youth event. 
it was, uh, left quite an impression on me. Um, as, uh, as they rolled around the floor, brawling, literally brawling, <laughs> over where they'd parked their car as they came to the youth at our house. It was great Christian witness. Um, now, the brawling that Paul is talking about here is not that kind of brawling. <laughs> Most of us don't get into that, where we're rolling, literally rolling around the floor in a scrap, although sometimes we'd like to. But he says, get rid of brawling or clamor. And uh, the explanation of this is it's people who raise their voices in a quarrel and start shouting and even screaming at each other. Brawling, clamor. People who raise their voices in a quarrel start shouting or screaming at each other. Say, get rid of that. Don't do that. And then he says, get rid of slander. Slander, the Greek here is blasphemia. I think you can work out the word link. Slander says, slander is speaking evil of others, especially behind their backs. It's defaming them and it's destroying their reputation. That's what slander is. Slander is speaking evil of others, especially behind their backs. It's defaming them and it's destroying their reputation. And Paul says, you should not have this in your life as a Christian. Get rid of it. And every form of malice, he says, to wrap up this list of six things that he's saying, I want you to stop being unkind and, un and bitter, and I want you to put on kindness and loving and gentleness. And uh, he says, get rid of every kind of malice, which is kakia. And that means ill will. It means wishing and probably plotting evil against other people. Don't have that in your life, Paul says. Don't have malice in your life. And John starts says, commenting on this list. Is everybody having fun this morning? <laughs> John Stott says, there is no place for any of these horrid things in the Christian community. They have to be totally rejected. They have to be totally rejected. So get rid of bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander and every form of malice and instead be kind and compassionate and gentle with one another. So that's the fifth very, you know, Paul's getting down to it now, isn't it? This isn't wishy-washy stuff. Paul's getting into the details of how we live our lives. He's getting to the acting bit. But remember, we've come from the thinking and the knowing who we are. And we can't do the third one without the second one and the first one. So the sixth thing that he says, he says, don't joke and be crude about sex, but rather give thanks for it. And that leads us into chapter 5, which we're going to look at next week. Verses 1 to 4. But he says, he says there, we've not read that part, but we'll get to it next week. But he says, don't joke and crude, uh, be crude about sex, but rather give thanks for it. These are the six areas that Paul's addressed very specifically. And, and what Paul is giving us in this part of the application of his teaching is calling us to unity and he's calling us to purity. And those are the two things that he's teaching into here as a prisoner of the Lord. And remember, all of this pivots from live worthy. Live worthy of the calling that you have received. Now, you are under new management. You are wearing new clothes. You are a new creation. You are raised with Christ. And so we've got to start walking like a Christian. Parapateo. Walk. Don't walk like the Gentiles walk. This is how you used to live. This is how you used to think. This is what you used to do. You used to steal. Don't steal anymore. You used to tell lies. 
stop it. You don't need to do that anymore because you're a Christ follower. You, you used to use bad language all the time. You used to use unwholesome language. You used to be really nasty the way you talked about people. Don't do that anymore because you're a Christ follower now. You have a different identity. You have a different set of clothes. And you're a different person. And you're raised with Christ. And you're seated in heavenly places. You're a new creation. You've got the Spirit of God inside of you. And remember, we can't just go and squeeze out these apples. We can't produce the fruit by just willing it. Can't say, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to stop being angry. And I'm going to be kind. Or I'm going to stop bad-mouthing people. I'm going to say good things and uplifting things. But it's got to come out of a place of life and grace and the Spirit of God flowing through us. If we take care of the roots, God will take care of the fruit. If we take care of the roots, God will take care of the fruit. So this is a stirring summons from Paul. He's not mixing it up. He's not mincing his words. Three movements that I want us to think about and reflect on this morning. Know who you are and know whose you are. You are a child of God. You're in the family. You're a new creation. You're different now. Make sure that you're working on your thinking and believing the truth. The truth of God is what will set you free. We have a father of lies who deals in lies and untruth. And we have Jesus who deals in truth. We need to be on the side of truth. We need to be on the side of knowing the truth, living the truth, imbibing the truth. And we're all being discipled by something. So don't be discipled by Netflix and by Facebook and by goodness knows what else on the internet. But be discipled by the truth of God's word. Paul says, this is not how you were taught. This is not what you heard. This is not how you learned Christ. You're different. So walk differently. Let's pray. Lord, your word, um, we read uh, Paul's admonition to Timothy. All scripture is breathed by God. It's got God's spirit in it. It's living. It's sharp. And it's useful for teaching us, rebuking us sometimes, telling us off, correcting us, training us in righteousness. And I guess this morning, Lord, we're in this territory of Paul's teaching to us as we read the truth of Scripture. Lord, I pray that um, we'd let it sink into our hearts, Lord. I pray that we'd really know whose we are this morning and who we are. That would transform us. I pray, Lord, that you, we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And I pray then, Lord, when we get down to these practical applications of how we behave, that, Lord, we would walk in truth. We would walk as Christians. We would walk and produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. That we would be known as Christ followers. So, Lord, I pray for the work of the Spirit to take these words and this seed and for it to produce fruit in our lives that lasts and remains. I pray once again, Lord, that we would receive your word with faith and that, Lord, we would act on it, that we wouldn't make the mistake that Scripture challenges us not to make, is to look in the mirror and forget what we've seen, but to be hearers of the word and doers of it too. So help us this week, Lord, as we walk like Christians, Lord, to apply the truth of your Scripture to our lives me to my life, I pray in your name. Amen. 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 Good is the word of the Lord. And it is, um, 
what washes us, what nourishes us, what feeds us, and what helps us to grow up as Christians. This whole book of Ephesians is about growing up in Christ, and that's what we're doing as we, as we study it together.